welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. Key passage for this whole series uh, is Matthew 28, and you loved the King James so much last week, I thought I'd... um, bring it back again this Sunday. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus is speaking. He says this, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Some Pentecostals about to start preaching in here. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Amen. Who's feeling encouraged? Now, um, before I get into the preaching today, um, Simon's ripped out uh, introverts a couple of the last few weeks. He's made some digs and talked about the problems introverts have with discipling people. I want to address, as an extrovert, I want to address our problem. Because we've got problems too. It's not just introverts that have problems. Extroverts have problems. Uh, And if you're married to one, you know that. Um, And and so I just want to address our problem. Because as as extroverts, we are filled up by social interaction. And the easiest, cheapest social interaction is shallow. Like it's really easy to fill your cup Uh, your extrovert cup with a lot of shallow interaction that doesn't take any vulnerability or hard work or basically any effort on your part. You can just, you know, be in a room full of people and maybe you just gather 15 of them around you and you're the center of attention. And anyone that knows me is like, Flip, Mitch, you're describing yourself right now. And you're just making jokes, you're making people laugh, or you could just go around the room and say hi to 15 people and shake their hand and then move on to the next conversation. Here's the, here's the problem is as extroverts, we struggle and we have to teach ourselves to stop, focus and listen on one person. I actually have to look at them because my eyes want to know everything that's happening in the room. I actually have to look at them. I have to talk to them. I have to listen to them. We're not super great at that. I have to pray with them. And when there's a better conversation to the left on the right, I actually have to stay focused. And so there you go, introverts, extroverts, we've got our own problem. Uh, and so you can, you can go away and feel encouraged and blessed. And um, so, yeah. So this is our key passage, Matthew 28. Um, and here's what, what took me this week is I, I had a direction I wanted to go. Um, and then I read this passage, I opened the Bible, I read the passage, and what stood out to me was the next verse. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you, grab it out, go to Matthew 28, look at what the next verse is. Somebody do it. I'm going to take the key, my keys out of my pocket, otherwise I'm going to fiddle with them the whole time. Yeah, and then after that, what's the next verse? It's Mark 1.1. It's a new book. And here's, here's, what, here's what struck me. Because 
One of the, an orthodox way of reading scripture is through this lens, I've talked about it a couple of times, of authorial intent, that what the author intended as they're writing is what the Holy Spirit is saying. The Holy Spirit isn't saying whatever fits with your pet, you know, thing that you love and you're trying to prove with Scripture. It's what the the author meant when they were writing the, the words down is what the Holy Spirit is saying if you're interpreting Scripture um, properly. Um, I realise properly makes it sound like you can't do it any other way, but oh well. Um, and, and so, I, I, so I, I looked at that and I thought, Matthew, as he's writing his gospel, decides not to finish with Jesus' ascension, which that's pretty cool, you know, like floating up into, into the sky. Um, that's, a, that's an epic ending. Like if I could, you know, I, I would happily finish my gospel if I was writing one with that. He doesn't finish it with any other statement. He finishes it on these words. And if you know, if you're a writer, if you know people that write, if you read books, if, if you do anything, you know that when an author finishes their, their work off, they're trying to conclude the themes and the ideas and, and the story from throughout the whole book. And so I saw that the next verse was Mark 1.1 and I thought he's trying to use this passage that Jesus says to bring together the whole of his gospel. And he's trying to tell us something. And so I wanna basically do a survey of the gospel of Matthew today. I wanna walk through this book. We're not gonna walk through all of it um, because we have lunch at some point today. But I wanna walk through some key uh, parts of this book um, and and highlight a few things that I hope will help you to understand exactly what um, he's saying here. So um, the way that I'm reading Scripture today, because um, so th- you can read it exposit- expository, which is kind of like what Baptists like to do, where you, you read a verse and then you pick apart every word in Greek and then you, you, know, you go to like some Greek man and he, he tells you how everything you said in Greek was wrong. And, then, you, know, like, and you really dig into the nitty gritty of every verse and, and you're trying to do that. The way I wanna read this today is narratively. I actually wanna read Matthew like he's telling a story and we're listening to it as a, as a reader of, of, of this book. Is that all right? So we're gonna read this narratively today. Um, and hopefully this is going to bring out a whole lot of extra stuff. So Matthew has an angle. Uh, every gospel writer has an angle. They have something that they're trying to say. Uh, every writer in Scripture has an angle. They have a genre. They have something that is actually, uh, the, that the author is trying to convey to the listeners. And so I want to talk to begin with about about his angle. And this is his angle. Jesus is super Jewish. This is Matthew's angle. He's like, Jesus is really, 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 really Jewish. Uh, And he's going to use a bunch of things that Jewish people cared about to help them see that Jesus is super Jewish. You can say that together today. Jesus is super Jewish. And here's why. So, so 
the Gospel of Matthew is written to a Jewish audience. It's written between 45 and 60 AD to Jewish Christians who, have, who are currently being persecuted, both by the Roman government and by the people that they've left behind in the Jewish community because they've essentially, according to the Jewish people, they've converted away from their faith. And so they're being persecuted on all sides. And Matthew, as a Jew himself, is writing this gospel to encourage them to stay faithful. He's telling them to keep going, not to, not to uh, let the message of Jesus go. He's trying to encourage them and, and, and say, look, Jesus is who He said He is. He has fulfilled the old covenant. And so He's going to use a bunch of Jewish arguments to do this. Matthew's name even means Levi, which is about as Jewish as you can get. And then he opens his gospel with the most Jewish thing possible, a genealogy. He opens with 17 verses of genealogies. And as people who live in New Zealand in 2022, we, we get to the, you know, we're reading the gospels and we see Matthew and we go Matthew 1. One, and then we read Matthew 1.18, and we skip the, <laughs> skip the genealogy because we're like, oh, this doesn't really matter to me. I don't need to know who's who, who's who and all of these things. But Matthew is, is actually trying to say something in this. It's, it's important that he starts with this. Um, and if we look at this like we're Jews, like we're first century Jewish Christians, we're going to actually uh, learn some things from this. So this is what he begins with, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so instantly he's pulling them in and saying, Jesus Christ is the son of David and the son of Abraham. Two incredible Jewish uh, figures and important figures in, in Jewish history. And so instantly they're going to be encouraged by that. I mean, we read it and we're just like, okay, cool, whatever. There's some important characters in this. We've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Judah. Um, and then it goes through. There's a bunch of people here. We've got Boaz, Rahab, um, Ruth's in here. And then towards the end, it says, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David, the king. This is a key thing. And next slide, he starts talking, he's still going along. He says, David, the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. She doesn't even get a name. Um, I'm not sure what Matthew's specifically going at here, but um, Bathsheba doesn't get mentioned. And then Solomon, we got some incredible uh, uh, men in here. We got Hezekiah, Josiah. Um, and, and this section is from King David, his genealogy to the deportation to Babylon. And then after the deportation to Babylon, so the nation of Israel gets shipped to Babylon, um, we have a, a, a bunch of people, Zerubbabel's named in here. Um, you know, what a, what a biblical hero this guy is. Let's say his name together. It, just is, it is fun. On the count of three, we're going to say it together. One, two, three. Zerubbabel. It's fun, eh? Let's say it again, because I, I know that you enjoyed that. Say it again. One, two, three. Zerubbabel. So this guy, in case you haven't heard of him, he's, he was the first person to lead people back after the exile, back to Jerusalem. And so it's this incredible picture, this man in, in Jesus' genealogy of someone who led people out of captivity back into the promised land of God. 
And so everybody in here, you know, we could preach for the next 20 minutes on Zerubbabel. I'm not going to. I, I could only say his name a few times. But the genealogy leads through, uh, and it says in verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born and who is called Christ. This is verse 17, and this is kind of where he makes his big point. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14, from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, he's not telling us science. This is not science here. Uh, he's not a biologist. He's not trying to tell us, um, you know, like he's not talking scientifically. He's talking in story. He's trying to say, here are some key moments in the Jewish nation. There's Abraham, David, the exile, and Christ. And these are going to, these are going to, these are the, this is, this is Jesus' genealogy is, is tracking through these important things. And so, I mean, in one of the, um, you know, in one of the things there, it skips like 450 years uh, between two generations, which obviously that's not how it works. Um, and so it's not accurate. You can't use this to count up and say, all right, well, the world's only 6,000 years old. Um, because that's not the way the Bible is written. I'm sorry if I just offended anybody. Um, I said I wouldn't be spicy today. Um, and so here is his big idea. His big idea is this, that Jesus is king. This is his big opening idea, that Jesus is king. And I want to encourage you, maybe you, you treat Jesus as friend. Maybe you treat him as the one you run to when you've got problems. Maybe you treat him as, you know, like a genie in a bottle sometimes. But I would encourage you, friend, treat Jesus as your king. He is the king. He is the Lord of your life. Treat him as king. So this is what his opening idea is, is that Jesus is king. You all right today? And so this happens, is the genealogy, and then after that is the birth narrative. That's quite important. Um, Jesus is born. Um, it's helpful for the story. And, and even that reinforces what happens in the genealogy because the, the way that Jesus is born, even though it's in a stable, it's, it's the birth of a king. Um, the star in the sky, the angels pronouncing it. All of this is highlighting that a king has been born. Um, and so this, this carries on that narrative. And then uh, we see the flight to Egypt. And then the next key thing that happens is the baptism. So Jesus goes to John the Baptist and it says this, and when Jesus was baptized and blah, 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 blah. I didn't mean to treat scripture badly then, but I just, I'll run out of time if I read it all. This is in Matthew 3, um, 3, 16 and 17. And so Jesus goes, after the birth narrative, he goes and he gets baptised. And um, it's cool that we got a baptism coming up in a couple of weeks because this can, you can be compelled in this and then you can do it in a couple of weeks' time if you haven't been baptised. I want to really clear, carefully articulate something about baptism, and, and, and I hope to get this right. 
I've practiced it quite a few times and I haven't quite nailed it yet. So this is the part that is uncooked and I'm trying to piece it together. So bear with me and um, don't write any emails to Simon if you disagree with anything I say. Uh, write them to Julie and Simon's on holiday. <laughs> so baptism echoes, it doesn't replace, it echoes circumcision. Um, baptism it, for, for the Christian echoes circumcision, and, and, and this is how. So uh, we have uh, Abraham begins the tradition of circumcision. He's circumcised uh, himself, and then he circumcises his family. And then from that point onwards, the way you were brought into the, the, the nation, which were the covenant people of God, the way that you come into the covenant people of God is through circumcision. Whether you're born part of the family or you're brought in from the outside, the way that you become a part of the covenant people is through this outward mark of circumcision. Praise God, Jesus doesn't do that anymore. Um, and then Jesus in this moment, He is baptised and then His uh, and then. He tells his people, us, to be baptized. And what baptism does, it's not a salvation issue, and that's where I want to be clear. It's not a salvation issue because there's the thief on the cross next to Christ, and he says to him, he forgives him of his sins, and he says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't have to get off and get baptized to go into heaven. Uh, and so it's not a salvation specific issue, but it is a following Jesus issue because what baptism does is it's the outward sign that brings you into the covenant people of God. And so baptism is less about, um, it does a lot of other things, um, but this is one of, its, one of its roles is it brings you in. And this is why we baptize, as a church, we baptize people. Like that's why we don't just run off and do it, you know, at a river by yourself. We do it in services. We go to the beach together because baptism brings you in to the family. Does that make sense? And so as a Jewish person, you're reading this and going, oh, he's, so not only is Jesus king and he's fulfilling David, but he's, he's fulfilling Abraham as the head of the covenant people of God. And so, and so Jesus, he's fulfilling David, and he's fulfilling Abraham. The next thing we see is Jesus goes into the wilderness, he comes out, and his ministry begins with the Sermon on the Mount. And this is like an incredible passage because everywhere else where Jesus teaches, he teaches in parables. He's like, hey guys, I got a funny joke for you. Um, if you wanna follow me, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Think about that. You know, and, and he's just like, he's, he's like, I'm going to talk in parables. I'm going to offend people. I'm going to like make it so that you have to really think. You have to consider what I'm saying for it to be clear, except for this passage. For three chapters from Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus speaks plainly teaching the people. And if you're a Jew reading this and you've just read, okay, Jesus, he's, he's, he's the Davidic king. He's, he, he's fulfilling David. And then you go, okay. And, and, and he's 
becoming the, the head of the people of God. He's doing that. And then you see him, you're reading the story along and you're, you're a Jewish Christian. You read this and you see Jesus then going up onto a mountain and proclaiming to the people of God, the law. You go, he's fulfilling Moses. And then Jesus says it plainly himself in uh, 5.17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I have, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so the Jewish reader is reading this going, oh man, Jesus Christ, I can see Matthew's telling me, Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament. He's, he, he's not taking me away from my family. He's not taking me away from Judaism. He's not taking me away from the religion of my fathers, but He is fulfilling it to the fullest extent. And, and so in this, he, here's what he addresses. He addresses all this stuff. There's the Beatitudes at the start, which is where you go if you're feeling bad. Uh, and then he talks about salt and light, his fulfilment of the law, anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, loving your enemies, giving to the needy, how to pray, fasting, layering up treasures in heaven, anxiety, judging others, asking God, building your life on the rock, and a lot of extra nuggets in between. Man, that is a beefy sermon. Imagine if I talked about all of that this morning. You'd be like falling asleep halfway through. I mean, maybe you are, but anyway. But And so we see Jesus is, he's, he's, he's echoing all of these Old Testament figures. And as a Jew reading this book, you're seeing it clearly. We just see stories. We see, you know, like these little things and maybe we just preach a passage from the Sermon on the Mount. We preach about salt and light and, and, and that's great. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Or maybe we preach about the baptism. Almost nobody preaches about genealogy. This might be the first time you've seen someone preach from genealogy for more than like, 15 seconds. But as a Jewish reader, when you're reading it narratively with the eyes of a Jew, you know, we're putting on like a, a little Jewish glasses and a yarmulke and stuff. Like when you're reading it like that, you can see that you can see the narrative that is playing out. And so I was looking at this, I was reading Matthew and 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 then when I read through the rest of the gospel, and I would encourage you, we don't have time to do it all today, but I encourage you, go home, especially if you responded to that altar call earlier. Um, when you go home, read through the gospel of Matthew uh, cover to cover. Just do it all today. Um, it'll be really good for you. Um, and so when we read, what's the next slide? Yes, yeah, Great Commission. Cool. This is where we're going. Um, and so this is the way that Matthew lays out his book. So chapters one through four is the genealogy, the birth, all of that stuff. And it's got the baptism and then it's got his, um, the, his temptation. Five through seven is the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and then eight through 25 is Jesus's ministry. And we're not gonna spend um, any specific time there today. But the thing that you notice as you read through it, and you can notice this later when you go to the book of Matthew, is that when you read through Jesus's ministry, 8 through 25, you'll see that it's not really focusing in on what Jesus did. It's not really re telling a lot of miracles. It's not telling a, a lot of the, the, that stuff, but it's really highly focused on what he said. And, this is, and then you compare it to uh, Luke's gospel, which is so action-packed and it's filled with... Um, 
all these doing things and immediately Jesus runs off here and, he, and then he runs this way and he does this thing. What, what you, you notice is that that's written to, to Gentiles and they want to see the power. They want to know the, the, the stories. They're like Pentecostals. Uh, but, but this book that's written to Jews, they want to know what Jesus said. They want to know what he said about himself. They want to know what he said about how to live, how to be part of God's people. And so we take all of this, we're reading these themes through, and then we get to the Great Commission, this final statement, and, and, and it, this begins to come alive. This begins to make a whole lot more sense in the context of the whole book, because this is the capstone that Matthew chooses. He actually chooses to put this, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, to put this at the end of his gospel, now, 11 disciples went to Galilee. You'll notice Judas didn't make it to this one. Uh, he wasn't invited to this, this event. Uh, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That's the 11, some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's king. He's got authority. He's fulfilling David. He is the king. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. He, he's, telling the, he's telling the people to baptize people into the covenant people of God. And, and you'll notice here, he says something, all. All in the Greek means all. And uh, that was my one expository moment for the day. And Jesus is fulfilling Abraham because the promise to Abraham was, you'll be blessed to be a blessing and through you, all the nations will be blessed. And so through Abraham's line, which culminates at Jesus, all of the nations will be blessed. And, and, and what are they gonna do? They're gonna be baptised into the covenant people of God. And then he says this, uh, verse 20, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. He's fulfilling Moses. He's fulfilling the law and the prophets. He's giving commandments and he's telling the people to, to, to follow him. And so this is Jesus fulfilling all of the, like this here is Matthew's, this is what Matthew chooses to show us Jesus fulfilling all of the Old Covenant, all of the Old Testament, those books, the prophets, the law, the writings, all of these books I've been reading for years and years and years, studying, memorising. In these sentences, Jesus is fulfilling it. He is the King. He's the head of the covenant people of God. And He's the, he's the giver of the law. He is the one who, who, who instructs us how to live. He's, he's David, He's Abraham, and He's Moses. He, he's fulfilling the covenants. And then he finishes with this. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As if to say, this thing, this mission will be until the end of the age. This mission of going and making disciples and baptizing them into the family of God into the covenant people of God and then teaching them to obey all He has commanded will continue from this moment 
until he comes back. And so this is what we are to do. This is what we are to do. There, there actually is no other option than to be discipling people. This is his plan. You know, we often, uh, you know, we'll say platitudes like the church is the hope for humanity. And it is. But specifically, this is. It's the church who is going into the nations, which will include New Zealand, because our nation needs to be discipled. People need to be discipled here as well. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I have commanded of you. This is God's plan. Jesus is king like Kanye, and God's plan like Drake. I love rap music, but you didn't think that. All right. So I preached this um, at our youth ministry. I've actually got a few people from our youth ministry um, here. Abby, who interned for me last year, um, and she was amazing. She was she really kept me afloat because I was terrible at anything. Um, like you know, like uh, <laughs> anyway, we'll go we'll we'll go through past that. At the end of the year, I, I read this verse and I was compelled by this line, teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. And so I thought, well, let's go and look at what Jesus commands because he's sp talking about something specific. He's actually talking about specific commands that he has given. And, and you'll find that the Gospel of Matthew, if you, when you go read it, you will find it is full to the brim of commands that we can follow, that, that, that Jesus gives that, that aren't specific. Like, like if he says, go and put mud in your eye, like that's, he's giving a specific directive. But there are many, many times uh, between 40 and 56, depending on how you're counting um, and what you're including, where Jesus gives commands that are general for every believer. And so what I did is... I didn't do any of the early content in the message today. I just basically put this verse up and said, so disciples are people who observe what Jesus has commanded. And then I split everyone up into, into groups and I gave them the 40 commands of Christ and we went through them one by one and we talked about them. We talked about the things Jesus commands. This is what he says. Repent, follow me, rejoice in persecution, shine your light. These, some of these are uh, abbreviated for youth ministry. Understand the word and righteousness. Re reconcile before you worship. Get rid of anything that helps, that helps or causes you to sin. Respect marriage. Mean what you say. Turn the other cheek. Love and pray for those who hate you. Uh, give secretly. Pray secretly. Fast secretly. Lay up treasures in heaven. Don't be anxious. Seek the kingdom. Don't judge. Throw, don't throw pearls before pigs. Seek, ask, and knock from the Father. Treat others how you want to be treated. Enter the narrow gate. Watch out. Know God. Build your life on the rock. Pray for laborers. Rest in Jesus. Enter the kingdom like a child. Work out how to work out your conflict. You forgive your um, forgive from your heart. Greatness comes from serving. Love God. Love your neighbor. Make disciples, take the log out of your own eye, take up your cross, be like the good Samaritan, pray like this. These are commands Jesus gives to his people. This is, this is things that he says to us. Um, and so this is where I wanna go today is um, 
I want to do this as a church, not all 40, um, but we are going to get into small groups um, and we are going to go through this together and I want you to discuss um, this with the people around you. And so I haven't quite worked out how this is going to work functionally. Uh, I figured we'd just do it and see how it goes. If you're joining with us on live stream, it's been great. We love you. Peace out. Um, But so I've got the first four, repent, follow me, rejoice in persecution and shine your light. Um, and so what we're going to do is um, each of them has a, uh, it's got uh, the, the verse, the reference, um, a small blurb that is not very insightful. Remember, I was writing it for a youth ministry um, and I haven't changed anything. There might be typos um, and we'll just, we'll be okay with that. Um, and then at the end of it, it will have reflection questions, which is a question for you to ask uh, within your group and think about. That's what reflection means. Um, there's discussion questions, things to actually talk about. Uh, and uh, one of them has some extra reading, so you can go and do that as well. Um, and if you enjoy it, I have all 40, you could take it home, or you could, you could if you're a life group leader and you want to do this with your uh, connect group, you can do that as well. Um, I don't care if you use it or not. But what I want to do is I want to look at these commands because, here's the thing, Jesus gives us a working definition of a disciple. A disciple is one who is baptized into the family and is doing the things Jesus has said. A disciple is someone who has been brought into the covenant people of God and is doing the things that Jesus tells us to do. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.